You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today are two-thirds of my regular panelists, freelance writer Julian Murdoch. Hello, hello, hello. Although and? I'm not sure what I'm freelancing for anymore now. <laughs> I'm sure somebody pays you to write stuff, right? Yeah, but who's left with games? I mean, what they Uh-oh. played, IGN, come on. Oh, so i got to fire you. Okay. Yeah, you have to fire me. That's key. Well, either that or just never pay me. If you never pay me, you're safe. <laughs> Not going to be a problem. <laughs> and freelance writer Tom Chick, who is still getting paid. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, Julian, can I get you a consolation coffee now that you can no longer as write as, for what they play? As long as you don't let me pay you for it, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so we we should tell so so Julian apparently had a hand in killing a website or not killing it Again. getting it sold to IGN. And, no, I had nothing to do with it other than the fact that they were finally going to start publishing stuff that I'd written for them, and so therefore they disappeared, essentially, which happens every time I write for anybody. Which is I why you're to, which is why you're on, on this GDC panel, right? Exactly on why games journalism is dying in print because apparently I can kill any of it. No. So for whom it's, do you freelance these days? Where do we see Julian Murdoch's byline? Writing about games? Pretty much the only place left is uh, Gamers with Jobs. Okay. That's a good place. I think that's although, a, although, you that's know, now good that, on a resume. Yeah, I mean, now that, now that uh, you know, with the shakeup of The Escapist, who knows, maybe I'll start making submissions there. And by the way, Julian, you are still a freelancer. Freelancer can sub in perfectly well as a term for someone who is unemployed. So... <laughs> Well, I freelance right about all sorts of other stuff. It's just that the gaming freelance market is getting a little thin out there. It's very well, you too well know. Once the uh, the stimulus package turns the economy around, I'm sure that will trickle down to us games journalists. Right, wasn't there a shovel ready games journalism line item in there somewhere? <laughs> I think it was <laughs> myself shovel ready. I think it was killed by Jim Bunning. Speaking of death. Yeah, we have a bit of a let's let's conduct. We have a funeral here. We do. Uh, let's. Uh, we, we've had a death in the family of sorts. Uh, well, one of our one of the doctors is ready to proclaim it uh, dead. But uh, I, I pronounce. Well, I didn't. I didn't really. It's sort of been a long lingering death. I didn't right. really. I guess you're supposed to note the time of death. Write that on the patient's chart. So I, w- I was remiss there. Uh, uh-huh. It's sort of like I was watching it die, and I was like, well, I'll let somebody else. Declare it dead. I'm, I'm just going to stand by. It's really sad. So we should tell people what we're talking about. It, it sounds pretty grisly. It is. And it is quite grisly because we put so much work into this and Shrapnel put so much effort in promoting this. But Tom thinks our Dominions 3 game is dead and not worth it. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait. I thought this was like a consensus. You guys disagree. No, 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 no. You're totally the only one holding out. You're the one whose turn we're waiting for. Oh, well, please. Well, that's uh, okay. That's what this is <laughs> no, this is, actually an inter- this is actually an intervention on your turn, Tom. <laughs> uh, so why do you hate Dominions three? What yeah, is I don't I don't hate Dominions three. I am a as a long time play by emailer. I mean, I've been doing this since it was invented in ancient times. Uh, I, I was playing Pong by email. That's how far back I got. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, a play-by-email game, th- this is only as strong as its weakest link. And I'm not pointing fingers because we've all taken our turns except 
to his credit, Troy, all three of us, me, Bruce, and, and Julian, have had our turns being the weak link. Uh, and someone's enthusiasm will flag, and someone will take a long time to get a so turn we're, in. So we're all weak links. We've got we're a chain made out of three weak links and one ironclad circle. Which only because I have to send, only because I have to run the turns. <laughs> right, Troy is kind of the host. If he he can't sort of be, he's the hub. He can't really just be a mere link. Uh, so Troy, you've been very good about that. And you, uh, well, I don't really have much choice. I mean, the three turns come in. I got to run them and get them out. I mean, I want right. to see how badly my empire's doing. Uh, you so, also have to take your turn as well, Troy. I mean, so we've never had a time where we all three sent in our turns and you you didn't get around to taking your turn or, or running the turn. So as a host, you, you've been fine. I think you're the only one who is uh, beyond reproach in terms of being a weak link. Uh, so so here's the deal. I, I didn't say anything. and I, I haven't sort of right. meant to make an issue out of it. We just haven't done turns in the last couple of weeks. Right. But I, I've sort of for a long time felt that the game wasn't really going to make that much progress with us alternately sort of taking turns losing interest for, for a week at a time or whatever. So what do you uh, think the optimal time frame is? Because I've been part of some really successful play-by-email uh, play games, um, and I used to be a big play-by-mail guy way back really? then. I was, I was really hooked into a great old game called It's a Crime. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. No idea. It's this great mafia play-by-mail game. Um, and then this other one called Out Time Days, which was this play-by-email, play-by-mail role-playing game, which was huge and super extensive and super expensive at the same time with human moderators and like 200 players. And I really got into it, but but I wonder what the uh, in the in the email world for what the optimal time frame is. Is it every day? Is it every week? What do you think? It depends. I, I mean, it, I think it's a factor of of everybody's enthusiasm. Uh, something like Dominions can easily be played once a day because the turns are relatively short. Uh, you know, you can sit down and do it over a cup of coffee before work in the morning or or whatever. Uh, so it, it, you know, as long as everyone's enthusiastic enough to want to take their turn once a day, I think that works fine. Uh, I don't think the pace was what was killing it for us. Uh, it's just like, I don't know about you, Julian, but I, my schedule is such that on any given week, I'm moving on to three different games. I mean, part yes. of my job yeah. is that I have to play a lot of different games and there are very few that, that I can sustain over a, a long period of time. Very few that I can even sort of fiddle with over beyond like a couple of weeks. And, um, and I will admit to not ever having really loved Dominions 3 as a game. I mean, I get, I get it. I played a bunch of single-player games. I think I even won one when I put all the variables exactly in my direction so that it was easy to win. Um, so I, I get it and I appreciate it, but I still I still find it impenetrable. And I don't mean in the sense that I can't figure out what's going on, but it's not it's not easy to jump into. I mean, and and no, it is not. It, it's every time every time that turn screen loads up, I feel like I have to do an awful lot of fucking around to figure out. Now, wait a minute, where did I just build that shaman? Was it in this place or that place or this other place? And and the whole sort of like click and move and information interfaces, it still seems clunky to me even after, I don't know, a dozen or two hours of playing it. And so that, maybe that's part of my dampened enthusiasm. I, I was never chomping at the bit to get my next turn in. But I should point out that I've also flagged at games where that's just not an issue. I've flagged it play-by-email chess, right? And you can't complain that the interface for play-by-email chess is difficult or that the information interface isn't good enough. 
Right. And you were kind of like our new guy. Like you were the one who, who was you were the so newest. So it's all my fault. I get it. Well, it's all, so, so, all my fault. <laughs> no, I mean, so that that was what you had to struggle with. I sort of had to struggle with playing a lot of different games and my attention being pulled different ways. Bruce had to struggle with his real world schedule, which it sounds crazy. Uh, so yeah, I completely understand, and I I never intended to be judgmental about it. It's just that. From the beginning, I think the odds were stacked against seeing this through to completion. Which is why our next uh, game was a multiplayer game again. Another, I mean, an RTS or something we can play quickly. Oh, that's, yeah, it's much more, it, that's much more easy for me to get excited about, right? To schedule an hour or two to play a specific game on a specific night. That I, have, I, I do that all the time. That's much easier for me to get into. It's kind of a wonder, like, that that whole sit down, play a game, uh, a sort of a throwaway, self-contained game session for an hour. I mean, that's, I think, what, what so many people are accustomed to. And mm-hmm. uh, but However, there, it is interesting to note that MMOs sort of buck that trend. I mean, they're, they're built to keep you enthusiastic and to draw you in and to get you to play. You, you know, doesn't World of Warcraft have like daily quests or something like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and if you're part of a big guild, it's really no different than scheduling your Wednesday night, you know, game of your favorite <laughs> RTS. You I know. can think of a guild being kind of like, you know, the play by email peer pressure to get your turn in. You know, the, the guild has that same peer pressure to, to exactly. log on and do a raid or, or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, at 9 o'clock tonight, I'm supposed to show up in Azeroth and go run through something tonight with a bunch of people. Uh, I wonder if, doesn't, Command & Conquer 4 is trying to tap into that. Are they? I think. Yeah, they've got a whole, I, I only know bits and pieces. There have been some more detailed previews about it that I haven't seen. But they have, you, you know, you start Command & Conquer 4 with a limited number of units and unit powers, and the more you play the single-player game or multiplayer or whatever... It's sort of this MMO sense of leveling up your faction, unlocking new units. Uh, I think they're definitely trying to tap into that sort of longer-term draw uh, with Command & Conquer 4. Well, one, one sort of interesting take on, on this kind of asynchronous strategy gaming um, is really more stuff that you see on, on uh, sort of web-based games. I mean, I can think of all sorts of, mm. uh, you know, like, what was that, Akarian and... Uh, there's a whole pile of these games that are out there now. The zombie one, which I can't remember the name of. Um, Urban Dead? Where no. It's, it's What's the, the zombie one? There's a, there's a zombie play-by-web uh, strategy game where you're, you, I mean, it's you're playing a single zombie hunter in a town full of other people and you're trying to secure territory. But, but all of these games sort of function asynchronously um, so they, they, they sort of tap into the same, can't be in the same place at the same time thing that PBEM does, um, but they don't require you to actually, like, take a turn and everybody waits for you, right? If you, you, you go and you say, okay, well, I'm going to spend the next three real-time hours barricading this door, uh, and you can come back in three hours and take another action, or you cannot. I mean, Zork did the same thing, right, the mm-hmm. online Zork version, um, where you're creating these asynchronous worlds that are kind of like MMOs, but they're really strategy games underneath. I mean, maybe that's the the best replacement because then you're never waiting for a loser like me to show up. <laughs> uh, I wonder if there's much of a community for Civilization's pit boss feature, which which works which works like that. Oh, the cat! Here's the cat. See, he's he's very upset about the Dead Dominions game. 
so I was saying, I wonder if the pit boss feature, which which works like that, where you start up a server for Civilization Four, and then people can log in whenever they want and take their turns. Uh, and but that still doesn't that still keep synchronization? Like you can't play three hundred turns and I'm still on turn five. You're right. Actually, you're right. That is a good point. It is still as slow as the slowest player. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I mean, the the fun thing about these kinds of sort of real time strategy asynchronous long time period games um is that they is that they get away they, they completely eliminate that and i got the sense that like soren johnson's working on something on this in this vein um, right you right. know a sort of massively multiplayer strategy game right and i think those are those are that, i think that's the most interesting thing to me and it, it completely eliminates this issue right yeah to an extent but they are they're also not necessarily multiplayer the games you can play by yourself or with a bunch of people you don't even know. I think that's kind of different from a play-by-email game where there's usually there's a real social connection. I mean, you can build an alliance and a carrium with some guy you never know, and you can do it at a guild in World of Warcraft, and this is all good and valid multiplayer stuff. But the beauty of a play-by-email game is it usually requires some sort of connection. Somebody whose email address you have to have, somebody who you know, somebody you can talk to about what's going on. And that's on my best play-by-email experiences, you know, usually in war game type stuff, and you can trash talk back and forth in the emails as you send the stuff back and forth. And uh, there's a personal connection you don't really get in the online browser strategy world builder games, I think. Or maybe I'm just playing them wrong. I played a kid no, I think, for a I think, while. I think you're right. I think, I think you're right. And, and, and certainly if you play games like Icarian as... Um, as MMO type games where you're really playing to win and you're trying to make alliances so that your alliance wins, um, they, they quickly get swamped by whoever's the most organized and has the most players. Um, you know, it's very easy for one group of 20 guys to essentially own a server fairly quickly simply by playing correctly and all the time. And if everybody else is playing in twos and threes and, you know, taking three days off, then the group that's organized wins every time. So is play by email. I mean, play by email is clearly mostly dead. I would think in most genres. Uh, I mean, it's how many games even have play by email as an option now that aren't war games? Well, why would you? I mean, honestly, if you had the option to do play by web with a nice interface mm-hmm. that really made it easier, why would you? Why would you make it play by email in the sense that Dominions is, where you're actually mailing files around to each other? I don't know. Some people were really upset that StarCraft Two uh, doesn't let, let use LAN play. People were really upset about that. Who cares about LANs? They well, said. Well, I mean, I, I think we, I care. we we've I know addressed that. Tom really cares. Yep. <laughs> As well, he should. <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm not sure I see it as being completely comparable because. Because uh, saying everybody has to log into BlizzNet or whatever it is isn't the same thing as saying, uh, you know, it, you're, there are situations where the LAN works and the BlizzNet solution simply does not, period. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you can really say that about play-by-email because almost definition, if you can get to your email, you can get to the web. Well, and how many turn-based games are being made anyway? I mean, you know, there's only – play-by-email is strictly a, a – a function of turn-based gaming, uh, and there's just not a lot of that being made. Was there? Uh, could you do play by email and colonization? And I'm trying to think of the last turn-based strategy game. Uh, like I think of colonization. Did that have play by email? I think it did mm-hmm. because it's just Civ Four. Uh, what other turn-based games have come out since then? Hmm. So I, I think play by email isn't really dead. It's just not a. 
you know, it's part of a it's part of a moribund genre or an indie genre. You know what is Solium Infernum? That has play by email. Like that's, that's right. The, that's that's right. That's, that's right. Uh, and we should totally because that'll come out. It'll be new and fresh. We'll be excited. We'll about all be it. excited to play that. We should that's try right. it again then. And it will sustain our enthusiasm over however long it takes to to get a game done. Yeah. I mean, is some of this just a, a length thing too? I mean, because because I mean, how many turns would you yeah. expect a Dominion's game to go to completion? Well, one of the problems with Dominion's three is that you don't really know how well you're doing until. You've either won or been hopelessly beat. Uh, Dominions is a game where it doesn't really, it's not really clear what's going on until it's a little bit too late to do anything about it. So you start losing or you start really winning. I mean, we finished, we were like to turn 12 or 13 or something like that. And And that's another thing too, is that it gets much more, I mean, the the types of decisions you're making, and especially for someone like you, Julian, like you've never had to deal with the magic system that much before. Like once you get farther into the game and have to deal with spells and magic, uh, it's a whole different ball game. And well, so I I found myself getting really tied up in micromanagement of magic, like figuring out exactly who was going to cast which spell when, and that that started to start feeling like uh, a lot of bookkeeping to me, right. honestly. Unfortunately, you don't necessarily have to mess with that much. Like, I've never gotten to that level. It's, it's just once, once my guys know a spell, if it takes gems, I make sure they've got a few gems and I just let it do its own thing. And that's, oh, okay. I think that's a, a power user would, wouldn't play that way. Like, I know Bruce wouldn't have been doing that, for instance. Um, but that's not really something you have to do, uh, even though I know you'd be tempted to. Uh, it, but also, like, did you have any problems, Julian, sort of, looking through all the different spells and deciding which ones to research? Wasn't oh, that a bit sure. Well, I mean, sure. Yeah. I had no idea what I was really going to use because I hadn't seen most of the spells like in combat. I didn't play the exact same way that I had played my single-player games because that would have been really boring. So I was trying different stuff. And, uh, you know, I never managed to actually find any magic sites. So I was just sort of researching the spells that didn't really need any gems and sort of hoping they would be helpful and... You know, but again, once you've got like seven, eight, nine, ten territories, it became a lot of micromanagement every turn, sitting here and going through each one, queuing up the build order, moving the guys from, you know, the backfield to the front. It started to feel pretty micromanaging, honestly. Actually, I forgot. Yeah, there is all that moving reinforcements up from the back. Yeah, there's, that's a lot of work, isn't it? I forgot about all that. Well, I mean, work. Work's relative. It was, it was a whole five minutes I could have done something else with, I guess. <laughs> Another problem with Dominions is also, and this is a problem, this is sort of built in with with most play-by-email games, is what happens when you've pretty much lost the game and you still have to submit a turn uh, every day or, or whatever. There's no way to uh, really resign. Right, exactly. Uh, I guess you could just turn over your your, your side to the AI or whatever. Um, you could just end a, turn every time. Right, right. <laughs> Just sort of let your civilization peter out. Uh, or you could just so, <laughs> play spoiler. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> that is sort of that's where, yeah when you're when you're losing a game when it's over that's really the only thing you can do. It's just Hit sort maker. of uh, yeah. <laughs> just burn all your crops, scorch your land, make sure Bruce's armies starve as they come in. <laughs> salt the earth, right? <laughs> you salt the earth in Dominion Three. Uh, should, I don't think you can. there should be a salt the earth spell. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I don't know the Every magic. Every game well should have a salt the earth spell. <laughs> All 
All right, so we're kill. Are we killing it? Are we calling it dead? I think it's been dead for a while, and uh, I don't. I think I. You know, I could send in my turn. We could uh, just wait until the next person <laughs> loses interest. But I think, for all intents and purposes, it's it's a dead game. I'm afraid. Should we well, sing she- a song? Should we like sing you know sing a little dirge or something? Does anybody know any Serbian funeral music? <clears throat> Serbian funeral music? Why Serbian? I don't know. It's just you know it's it very sound sad. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking the Carol Burnett theme song. I'm so glad we've had this time together. But wow. It's <laughs> I like the Serbian funeral music better. <laughs> Julian shows his age. Certainly if, certainly if I'm gonna sing it, the Serbian music will be better. <sighs> Everything in Serbian sounds sad. You may send your letters of complaint to Tom Chick. I bring up Serbian funeral music because it was used at the end of a, an awesome horror movie, and I'm using awesome facetiously, uh, called The Mist. Uh, the which Mist? Ends, isn't, that a Stephen King movie? isn't that a Stephen King movie? It's from a, I think, a short story that he wrote. Or, yeah, and uh, it was made into a movie, and it ends with this really weird funeral music that, that I've dubbed Serbian funeral music. I don't even know if that's really what it is. Right, but... But that sounds awesome. So we, what we're saying here is we've completely run out of ideas of things to talk about with strategy gaming because we're now devolving into singing Carol Burnett and talking about Serbian funeral music. Let's talk about movies. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about section eight. As a strategy game? It has elements of strategy. <laughs> Everything has elements of strategy. Well, actually, so here, Section 8 is, I mean, it's it's from the, the Kohan guys. So there you go. There's your strategy game connection. Section 8's from the Kohan guys? It's yeah, yeah, fun. Section 8 I is have no time idea. Gate. Yep, All right. time gate. Uh, and there are a lot of points of comparison to Kohan, including that a lot of reviewers didn't quite understand what they were trying to do and, and slagged it for completely unfair things, I think. Uh, and I don't think it's going to do very well, like Kohan, unfortunately. Uh, my my uh, my comments on on Section Eight when when we were first playing the demo, sort of as a big group over at GWJ, was this is a really fun game. If you if you know if you know ten people that are going to play, hello, yeah, we're here. Here, sorry, got hello. <laughs> oh, there you are. You're back. We know like anymore. Skype did something weird to me. Either that or I just had a seizure and I didn't know it. So it's um, the kind of game where people... So it's if you have 10 people and you're all going to play it, it's a blast. Like, the systems are designed to have a lot of fun with. And it's really different. But ultimately, it's going to feel very samey to most first-person shooter tactical players, which is really what that looks like. Um, and, and so consequently, I can't imagine that it would sell very well because it doesn't feel different enough than... Uh, you know, some combination of a squad-based tactical game with a little bit of planet side and Unreal Tournament bolted in. I'm not but sure I understand that. I mean, what, what do you mean it's going to feel samey? Because I, I think there are some unique selling points that, that the game has. That, uh, well, I, it, it just it feels like a combination of a lot. It feels like a smorgasbord of really good ideas, but there's nothing about it that feels completely unique. Right? The envi- if they... I, my 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 critique of Section Eight would be if they had taken the game and given it a coat of paint that was completely original, people would love it. That's all like it Kohan. really needed. Yeah, all it needed was a really <laughs> good coat of paint. They could have just called it something different and painted it with a really great story and changed the art style 
and what? it would have been Julian. Awesome. <laughs> I, that's that's, that's no, it's my because honestly, I mean, to me, it felt like oh, I'm playing this kind of mashup of Planetside Tribes, Unreal Tournament, and 24 other squad based shooters that I played. So let's bring this back to Kohan. <laughs> well, the I'm thing is, Kohan, I think, tried to do something different and tried to have this coat of paint that you're talking about, Julian. And I think Kohan suffered for it. Section 8, I think one of the lessons they learned with Section 8 is let's provide a familiar hook to players. And underneath that hook, sort of behind it, there are all of these cool subsystems that make for a really shrewdly designed, unified game. Uh, I, I think it's, in a way, the opposite of the presentation of Kohan. I think it's better for it. Um, I, I still don't understand why you think it's samey, though, because it has elements of planet-side and tribes, but neither of those is an established... Uh, like, neither of those games is really a cliché yet. You know, World War II shooter or where you're killing aliens, you know, those are the sorts of things that I can understand being called samey. But somebody drawing influences from Planet Side and Tribes, which had a each had a unique sensibility that was rarely imitated, uh, I, th- I think it feels very different. I well, I guess my point is that uh, you know everybody that I was playing the game with, and we mm-hmm. we went through a sort of an intense two three week period where we played it like every night during the beta, and we really enjoyed it. Um, all of us were fans of both of those other games. We'd we'd all been Planet Side subscribers. We'd all played the heck out of Tribes. You know, that's a game that still gets fired up every once in a while, and we'll go play it. Um, but but there was nothing about Section 8 that made me think, but this is so much better because, right? I mean, you can get under the hood, and you can start saying, oh, it's sort of classless because you can kind of build whatever you want out of it. That's a really cool thing that's buried in the game, and frankly not well-rendered enough, in my opinion, to really make it compelling like you couldn't really make yourself unique you could kind of just min max yourself in one direction or another maybe you're well, i couldn't i couldn't disagree more julian i mean okay what, <laughs> I, I i mean I, I think that the 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 loadout stuff i don't know how you mean it's buried because it's all it's it's all very accessible you know you build anytime you click a loadout you can see which two weapons which two bits of equipment which 10 modules you've got uh, and they all have very they have distinct effects on the gameplay, um, right? But they're all very. But my point is, is that each increment is sort of like it. All, it, fe- it felt very much to me like trying to figure out what armor to wear in a, an MMO, where you're making these distinctions between oh, I could take this thing which gives me a plus one percent here or a plus two percent there, and I can take this other thing which gives me a plus one percent here or a plus two percent there, and on balance they really work when you min max them. That was my experience, is that if you wanted to play uber-stealthy guy, you could like go through and just min-max, okay, I'm going to make uber-stealthy guy, which just honestly felt like I was doing their job for them by creating uber-stealthy guy build. Right? It but uber-stealthy like guy was... build, I mean... I'm sorry, <clears throat> but, but my But my point is, is that it didn't feel like I could create somebody who was unique in the sense that he could combine, say, stealth with artillery in a really effective way, that that would be really unique, right? I mean, I can't think of a game that has a stealth artillery guy that's really fun or a guy who's got a, you know, who's a, a tank who's invulnerable but shoots all the way across the map with that crazy sniper rifle. None of those felt like particularly usable combinations in the midst of a big battle. What felt really good and what felt useful was giant obvious builds 
right? So the fact I could do all this like subtle fine tuning didn't seem to actually have much effect in gameplay other than get me killed all the time. And and everybody I played with had the same experience, which was, oh, here's this optimal build, here's that optimal build, and what you ended up with was essentially four or five class distinctions. Well, I I I'm not sure I I totally understand disagree. you, so I might be I might be missing the point here. But but you can be a stealth guy with artillery. I mean, you can get you can max out your stealth matrices and your deceptor plates, and in your equipment slot, you can bring the mortar. That right there, that's a stealth guy with artillery. He can drop anywhere on the map. He's basically immune to enemy turret fire, and he can use the mortar as as artillery to take out emplacements. Uh, yeah, but that he's right not. There is he's not, not what I think of as. That right there is not what I think of as min-maxing, where you're trying to finesse 2% here, 3% there. Uh, that right there is clearly you've got 10 slots to play with but, for your but modules. My, 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 you point is this, my, my point is that in every case where we were playing with a big team, you were better off having one guy just max stealth and the other guy max artillery and send them in together to, to basically use their, self, use their skills together as a team. Right? So... So having monolithic classes in a team of five guys was always more effective than trying to figure out like some little tweaked build. Now maybe maybe if you're playing it as a solo player on a server with twenty other guys, that's a totally different experience. But we approached it as a squad game. Right, and and that's that. I mean, you make that sound like that's a weakness that that a, a particular player like for your loadout, uh, it rewards pressing one advantage rather than taking minimal bonuses across a spread of things. I mean, right. it definitely Wait. encourages, there's all these systems in the game, and it encourages you, you know, stress this one for, for this build. And, and furthermore, Julian, it also lets you freely swap amongst different builds. Even oh, sure, after I mean, every spawned. drop, every drop you can do everything. No, no, not yeah. just every drop, Julian. Anytime you're near a supply depot, you just tap the E you key can and you instantly yeah. Yeah. change your build. Um, right. And so what it encourages you to do is to have these builds. You can take the default ones and they're fine. But if you want, you can have specific builds for specific instances. For instance, I have a build, and this this is part of why I, I think of this. This is part of where I see Kohan. They have a great territory control uh, routine with AA guns. Wherever you put an AA gun, the other guys can't spawn there, and they can't bring in deployables. They can't do their base building there. However, by using deceptor plates and maybe boosting your shields a little bit, you can drop over AA guns. You can subvert that map control system. True. So what yes. I tend to and, do... And the, these, are all, these are all cool things. I'm not saying there's nothing... Like I said, we played this, the heck out of this game and really loved it for a while, but I didn't feel like there was so much depth here that this was much more than... I mean, honestly, if somebody had released a, a, a really solid mod pack to the basic uh, to, to the basic planet-side gameplay, I feel like we would have gotten the same place. And maybe that's doing the game a terrible disservice, but... I, yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think I mean the planet side is something very much an MMO. Like, like planet side is built for for different kinds of gameplay than than section eight. But I think you're absolutely doing a disservice to how how unified everything is in section eight and how it is unique. There's no other shooter that is quite like section eight. It really is. I, I mean, it's the next step up from tribes. I feel. I mean, before section eight, there was only tribes sort of doing this kind of thing. Um, it's, it's got base building. It's got uh, a lot of paper, rock, scissors with the character build. The weapon balance ties into all of that very nicely. I agree. There's all sorts of cool stuff under there. And what I meant about the coat of paint was that 
all that happens in an environment that feels like I've fought a battle in a thousand times. Right. I mean, that the, the, the environment does not feel at all different than any one of a thousand maps that I played in Unreal Tournament or Tribes. What are you and, talking about, the map that, design or the look? I'm talking about of... level design. I'm talking about the art style. I'm talking about the sound design, the weapon design, the character design. There are all these cool gameplay elements in there, which is why we played so much of it for so long for a game like this. And and I feel that it won't sell because, frankly, most people won't get to all of that cool stuff because they'll play a demo and they'll be like, oh, this looks just like Tribes or, oh, this just looks like UT. And and right. I think okay, those well, are, that's fair yeah. enough. I agree there with that. I don't think the art style is anything special, but I do think you're definitely shortchanging the game design. Uh, I think that once people, I, I think if people were to really get into it, it there, there, there's a really rich long-term game here with great legs. And I agree that the art design, the marketing, I mean, those are problems. The way it was reviewed is a problem. If I hear one more idiot say, "Oh, the guns don't kill people fast enough." I mean, that, oh no, no, no. I'm, I have no problem with that. I actually really enjoyed the weapon balance. I, I love the sniper rifle. I thought the fact that it, you know, you couldn't kill somebody with one shot, but you could kill them all the way across the goddamn map if you really knew what you were doing. That was, I really liked that. That was, I thought, a brave move on their part, and I think they made similar calls on all the weapons. But I don't see, yeah, but it, so, so I agree that there, there's no, there's no real hook with the art style, and I don't think they're supposed to be. I mean, it, it, it's supposed to, I think the lesson they took from Kohan is give players something familiar. And, and so it's a little, I mean, I can understand it as a complaint, but I, I can imagine those poor guys must be tearing their hair out when they hear that complaint. You know, they released Kohan, which is this really weird world. They tried to make it their own. Uh, and I think they feel that, that it was one of the reasons that Kohan didn't do better is that it wasn't familiar. So they make this sci-fi shooter. They make it familiar. They they sort of make everything look intuitive, even the weapons. You know, there's no goofy laser guns or anything. All the yeah, weapons all, are immediately accessible, intuitive. You, you've got, you know, your shotgun, your rocket launcher, your machine gun. That's pretty much it. What's more uh, accessible and intuitive than a laser gun? Well, you don't know. Part of it is you don't know, like, when you have, okay, Troy, like, what's the difference between a laser and a plasma gun? You, you know, when you have different flavors of, of laser guns. Uh, the thing is, it's all, all the weapons are, are, are based on things that will be familiar to anyone who's played a shooter. You know, different right. games, like, nobody knows what a laser gun does. A laser gun does whatever the developer wants it to do. Uh, but a shotgun, on the other hand, everybody knows what that does. Yeah, I, I agree. I get all of that. I'm just, I just think that a lot of people will play the demo and not get to the good stuff underneath because they'll just see the same game they played a hundred times. And I think people who do that, they deserve to to have to play, you know, Call of Duty Seven or whatever. I mean, that's just that. Well, but, there's a great game there for anyone <laughs> who cares to look to, at it. Right, but but the, I don't think the game sells that very well. It doesn't sell okay. that there's a great game underneath it. I agree. I think it's really entertaining. I think it's a great game underneath, and I think it's going to die on the vine. And I think it's a shame. But I don't think you can put that at the you can lay that at the feet of the design, which is what I hear you, and I could be incorrect, but I hear you kind of trying to do that. Uh, I and I, I just disagree there. I mean, I think the design is is a brilliant piece of work, uh, and I just can't see what they could have done better. Um, so I don't know. So there's but, a but shooter. Agree with there's our shooter segment for the year. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it really is a strategy game, Troy. I mean, it's so cool. That one of, one of the things is you can bring it. I say it's, it's not really a strategy game. There are strategy elements right. that are unlike other shooters. Uh, there, as you're playing, you you rack up money, um, and you can spend that money to basically build bases on the map. 
uh, and it, it sort of changes the flow of the map. Most shooters, the map is built to sort of shunt you through particular right. flashpoints. You know, here you guys fight, here you guys fight, then you're going to fight here. Uh, I think of Unreal Tournament's, um, is it called Assault Mode, where you go from node to node to node. Right. Uh, but Section 8 is, I, I think, maybe the first, well, Tribe, certainly. But Section 8 plays more like an RTS, where you've got okay, a wide open map. Because once you take a node, then you build the map. Then you build the node, right. Exactly. And you can, and how each player spends his money further determines the shape of the map, you know, what deployables they build. And beyond and above that, there are randomly generated missions that occur that completely change the dynamic right. of where people should fight and over what they should be fighting. So, uh, I think you should do a 10-part series on maps and shooters. I, I, you know what? If I'll, I'll have to start a blog about shooters uh, <laughs> and do that, yeah. You can do whatever you want over at Sci-Fi, right? That's true. Yes. Well, I, you know what, Troy? I pretty much did do a ten-part series on Section Eight. You did. I, you did. I yes. Just, I wrote about. I used each of the dynamically generated missions as sort of a jumping-off point to talk about a different facet of, of the game's design. And I'm sure by the time it was done, I mean people were sick of reading me talking about Section Eight. <laughs> uh, but there really is. You can definitely see. I think when you play Section 8, you can definitely get a sense of for, okay, these are the guys who did Kohan. These are the guys who looked at real-time strategy games and defenestrated all of the rules and made their own game. Here, they're kind of doing that with Section 8. Uh, I, I, just those guys are brilliant. You know, before Section came out, I, before it was, was released, I heard they were working on it. And before Section 8, they'd done these these terribly generic uh, expansions for fear. So I, I thought we had lost the Kohan guys. I was like, yeah, those guys were brilliant, but now they're doing crappy shooters. Uh, so one of the things that I'm delighted about with Section 8 is, no, those guys are still in fine form. Uh, and if Section 8 doesn't do well, that'll be too bad, but you know, these are guys to keep an eye on. Well, they, can go, they can go back and do Kohan 3. <laughs> there you go. Maybe the world is ready for that. Third time's the charm, you know? Yep. <laughs> You can put in one of those original g- g- German campaigns. You never see the German side of World War II. <laughs> so now that we've done our shooter section of uh, Three Moves Ahead, can yeah. we move on to our driving games section of Three Moves Ahead? <laughs> you want to talk about three? Yeah, God. <laughs> Let's save that for Let's next. Talk about week. Brutal Legend. Let's talk about Brutal Legend. <laughs> our, Shake- our action platformer section of the show. <laughs> I don't know. There's no platforming in the uh, in the uh, demo, at least. Of what? A brutal legend. Oh, 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 oh. Is there any? Oh, well, well okay. Well, here we go. It's I actually supposed to have. It's supposed to have some substantial uh, strategy elements in it. Certainly, yeah, in exactly. Uh, you no... guys are just going to drive me crazy and drive yes, our listeners crazy, putting everything in the strategy box. Well, actually, Troy. I mean, this isn't this isn't just a, an attempt to talk about a game and force it into the strategy rubric. Not there really this. is there really are RTS elements in Brutal Legend, aren't there, Julian? They're, they're supposed to be. There there aren't any in the demo, and I have not okay. played an actual preview build. So, and is uh, that stuff? Do you know? Is that stuff supposed to also be in single player, or is it just their fantasy yes. multiplayer? No, no, no. no. It's, if, if in talking to Tim, they actually developed the single player sort of strategy stuff first. And then went back and sort of built a single player campaign that would lead up to it and build up to it. And right? do you know is it R- you, it, it, it's it's RTS and initially you start as just a guy with a sword or an axe in this case, uh, and slowly I gather 
gain control of more units and, you know, slightly Overlord-esque in the sense that you sort of start with, like, a couple guys to run around and then later you end up with more and more different kinds of guys you can push around. But, okay. honestly, haven't played any of that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I put myself in total media blackout because I'm so excited for this game that I do not want to play anything but the final build. Mm-hmm. Uh that's uh, that's another instance, I think, of if you are a strategy gamer, you can't ignore consoles anymore. That's uh, true. And that's something I do want to devote an entire podcast to coming up. I, mean, I really do think that this console games are – there are more strategy games, uh, more strategic elements in console games. But uh, I don't know. I think we're still going to – I still think they're, the PC is where it's at. Well, it's certainly where it's at, but I just would – well, I, I, yeah. I don't want to – I don't want to jump ahead jump of ourselves. We'll get there. Right. So there's also a, a strategy game for the PSP this week called Undead Knights. I, you know what? I call it a strategy game. I think it's more like an action-y thing. I haven't played it, but I, I read about it, where you uh, recruit zombies and you like send them out to attack castles and whatnot. Uh, but I think it plays more like a uh, Dynasty Warriors kind of hack and slash oh, thing. okay. No, nobody okay. likes this. But Nobody it's got zombies, this. though, Troy. It's got yeah. zombies. Yeah. See, I've never been a zombie guy. I'll what? tell you the best. The best strategy game that I played this week is uh, is uh, Geo Defense Swarm on my iPhone, which is, in my opinion, the best tower defense game ever made. Can you? I don't. I don't. I don't think you can play games on an iPhone. How do you control them? I uh, know. Uh, <laughs> With it's your mind. Good. It's amazingly good. It combines like the best kind of uh, sort of tactical puzzle solving under pressure stuff. Uh, with just superior design, level design. It's so good. It's so good. And it's 99 cents. It's ridiculous. Anybody it can't who's making be good a game if it's for 99 cents. I know. Anybody who's making a game for $60 that sucks should just be taken out and shot and then revived and forced to play this game. Because for 99 cents, it's ridiculous. I refuse it's, to believe there's a good 99 cent game. I'm sorry. It's, it's super challenging. It's extremely difficult, but it's so good. There. And it's my, just my a tower defense game. It's just a tower defense game, but so the level design so special. The level design essentially turns it into a really, really well thought out puzzle game because your your available resources, how much different kinds of towers cost, the rate at which you get resources to build new towers, and then the actual physical structure of each map are completely different level to level. And it's it's sort of like playing really well-designed puzzle games where you really need to understand the map, your resources available, etc. So each little game, each little map of it, which may take you you know, three minutes to play once you actually know how to win that level, um, it, some of them have taken me an hour to figure out. And, I, and not a boring hour, like a solving a chess puzzle hour. That sounds like a boring hour. <laughs> solving a chess puzzle hour? Good lord. Well, it's a good thing you don't play strategy games then, because sometimes those take time. time I'm, too and busy, I'm too busy playing Section 8. I, I don't have time for strategy games. Uh, has anyone has anyone here tried the Tropico 3 demo? Nope. Just you. Have you? No, I haven't. I'm waiting for the review no. build. But That's uh, good radio right there. <laughs> hey, I was hoping Tom had, because he plays everything. Or everything. He had, he had he doesn't have time to play Dominions 3 or anything. So, Well, I also like that I'm sort of like Julian with Brutal Legends. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I want to see the finished build of Tropico 3. I'm looking right. forward to see how that turns out. Uh, so it's sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm convinced I want to play it. I don't really need to look at a limited demo. Uh, I'm, I don't like, you know what? Here's gonna, I don't like demos. 
Right. I mean, I know people use them. They're, they're helpful for people who have to buy games and whatnot. But I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I get sent stuff that I am going to look at. So I sort of feel like a demo is almost like a spoiler. <laughs> it's almost like, like with a movie. It's sort of like, you know what? I'll just wait until the final product arrives and then I'll take a look. I don't need a demo. Uh, but that's one of those sort of elitist press things. I, I know demos yeah. are really important for people who have to buy their own games. So, um, that's a but luxury, even, is it? Even when I, um, did have to uh, buy my own strategy games, and I still have to buy most of my strategy games, though not all. Uh, I didn't play a lot of demos. I just preferred to have the final version or read some reviews and not have my experience, you know, crippled from the beginning. However, this is once again where Rise of Legends, uh, sorry, Rise of Nations uh, shines. It had an amazing demo, as I recall. Did it have the, it was the full game? Like you could it was, play all it was, the ages? It was, and... it was four, uh, four nations, four very different nations, and you could play the whole game mm-hmm. with those four nations. And it just uh, whetted my appetite for the final version. So, I guess, yeah, like if you know you're already interested in a game, just skip the demo anyway. Like, that's the sort of thing. But if you don't know you're interested, that's a great way to, to sort of show you. Uh, and yeah, that is, I guess they give you the four races and... Did, I guess you only probably had like one map as well. I'm assuming. I think there were multiple maps. Okay. I was sorry. Awfully generous. Look it up. Good for them. Uh, I have to look it up. But the four very different races. You know, the the I think the Nubians and the English and the Koreans and somebody else. I think I should look it up to be sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I played that demo over and over and over while uh, waiting for the next paycheck to come through, so I could actually buy the finished version. But I'm not a big demo person. I never have been. Same reason why I don't play many betas, if I can help it. Oh, God, I hate betas. There's one thing worse than a demo. It's a beta. <laughs> Good Lord. Because you never know if something's like working right or if you don't understand how this is supposed to work. No, betas but are great for big, for big like multiplayer games. I love playing in the beta because the douchebag quotient is so much lower. You mean like an MMO, like when you yeah, say multiple- like in MMOs or like in or even like big first person or like Section Eight, right? I mean the 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 level of idiots on the on the servers is much lower during the closed beta than it is during like the three weeks after release. Is it because there's fewer people? Yes. Well, and they all want to be there. They all really want to be there. But when the game comes out, there are people playing who don't want to be there. Yes, there are people playing who are there only because they feel like they need to get their $60 worth and the game is not really for them. Ah, okay. <laughs> That's my theory. Right. Now, Section 8, by the way, has bots, so you never have to play online with uh, with j- the jerks that you're talking about. You, you can bypass them entirely. Uh, That's true. Which is another reason that I, I, I think of it as being like an RTS, is that there's this sense that you can play skirmish games in Section 8. You don't have to rely on multiplayer. Like most of those sort of team-based Battlefield-inspired games uh, that are based on, you know, different classes. and uh, you, you have to be online with idiots uh, and strangers. Uh, Section 8 doesn't make any sort of... You don't have to do that in Section 8. Um, just just play against bots, and they're good. The bots are very good. I've been very happy with They take advantage of all the gameplay systems. Listen to me, I'm going back to talking about Section 8. We're not in our shooter segment to the podcast anymore. I apologize. Um, you must really love Section 8. You know, I, I, I really do. Uh, I think it's one of the best things to come out this year. There have been some games this year, and I was just so tickled to discover Section 8. And we do play it a lot here, 
at the the little weekly land party thing that I have because it's perfect for our purposes. Uh, I've even got the sort of the section eight tutorial down to uh, down to a science. You know, you know, you explain these three things, then these three things, then you show them these two things, and then you turn them loose in a game against like uh, low AI bots. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm a section eight evangelist. So, so a, e- oh. even your cat can play. Even the cat can play. Yes, he's not very good. You know. And on that, we're now talking about Tom's cat playing first-person shooters. I think that means we're done. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right. I do want to apologize to our listeners who were expecting Michael DePlater to join us tonight. Uh, He, uh, as made probably his internet is still down. He's been incommunicado for a while. Uh, We do hope to get him on. I know he was promised for this week, and that explains the rambling nature of our recording tonight. Hope you will forgive us, and we'll tune in next week, where we'll have, hopefully, a full squad, uh, where we will talk about, um, hopefully, Michael DePlater and why he's so smart. And if not, we'll talk about consoles and why they're so dumb. Uh, Say goodnight, everyone. You were just trolling there, by the way. You, You were totally trolling. I was totally trolling. I love I love my Xbox. And by the way, we can we can talk about how Michael DePlater is so smart, even if he's not here. Yeah, but it's better if no, you can learn can. it. But then you can, then you can no, send can. then you can send me stuff. <laughs> uh, good night, all. Good night. Good night, all.